Thank you for downloading Fearless in Devotion, a podcast all about Wrexham AFC. Here they come, our mighty champions, raise your voices to the anthem, marching with our mighty army, Wrexham is the name, Fearless in Devotion. And welcome to the Paul Marsden Appreciation Podcast with me, Andy Gilpin, Liam Randall, and Tim Edwards. So we're still smarting from that from that uh, trip to County. Thoughts, Tim? Uh, yeah. How do we appreciate Paul Paul Marsden apart from setting some dog poo on his doorstep, setting it alight, and then running away, knocking on his door? I don't know. He was just. Oh, why have you made me talk about the officials again? Yeah. As far as I was concerned, it was offside before the penalty decision, um, but I need to see it back. But let's not waste too much hot air on him. He made a whole raft of questionable decisions. He's no stranger to controversy when it comes to not just Wrexham, but other teams, the games he's officiated. I don't get it. There's there's a referee's assessor every game. I, I still have no idea how he's still refing in this division let alone he's, he's, he's done football league stuff hasn't he so you know we, we look good they were on the rack and people say oh yeah you played well for the first 10 minutes but then it changes with Lennon sending off it has to change the high pressure atmosphere good crowd good away following yeah I was having a whale of a time that day up until about 11 minutes past three and it kind of all unfolded so yeah, I'm angry, but it, you know we've got a nice little breather now, and we're going to have new signings by the time we our next league game comes around. So happy days! Do you know what? Um, it really sewed me up that uh, that Lennon that Lennon red card. I was I, I, like you, I was having a great time. But let's let's take the positives. They absolutely fought for the rest of that game. They yeah. went down to ten men. I mean, they looked solid as a back four. I will say so. You know. Come on, Parky. Sometimes you might want to change it to a back four. You've, you've got players there who, who can work. Um, I think, you know, you can't say that they didn't want to fight for the club and the manager, they did. And for a lot of the time, they had County on the rack. And if that penalty had gone in, who knows? I mean, a lot of County fans said that they thought they w- we would have beaten them if we'd have, uh, if we'd have put that one away. But, you know, we missed that penalty. That third goal is given, even if it doesn't go in. And I don't know if... Tim, if you've been having pelters from county fans on on Twitter like I have for the last day or two, but you know, it, to me, it didn't look like it was in. And for the the key thing for the linesman is he has to be a hundred percent certain that 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 ball has crossed the line to 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 give it. And I don't know how anyone could be, especially from from sort of seeing stills of of the footage. Well, Liam, to, what did you, you think? You have Sorry. to be decisive as well, don't you? Because he makes that decision at least six or seven seconds after that goal is a judge to have gone in because County play on thinking well, there's not, there's not a vast amount of County protest saying it's definitely gone in. It's definitely gone in. Because none. none of them are thinking it. They're carrying on. They have another shot on goal, which is blocked until yeah. play is brought to a halt to say, oh yeah, by the way, ref, um, just to let you know, I think that goal has gone in. And I bet you he's used the words, I think that goal has gone in. And, and that's all Marsden needs. All he needs. And then <laughs> hence the flares, the coins, which we're probably going to get fined for. We don't condone it, but we can kind of understand it on this occasion. So, yeah, screw you, Paul Marsden. I hope you have a shit week and a shit New Year. 
I'm too mean to throw coins on the pitch. I'd rather them in my pocket. Liam, what did you think? I know you didn't go, but you were listening in, weren't you? Yeah, I think a lot of the negative reaction I've seen is actually come, like towards you know the team and the players has actually come from people who who weren't at the game. I wasn't there, but from what I could tell from listening, it sounded like given the circumstances, the players actually did pretty well. Um, there's not many um, referees in this league that I know their names, but as soon as you saw the name Paul Marsden on that sheet, you thought, oh, okay, this is going to be, I think I used the word interesting or fun. Um, as Tommy Karras pointed out to me, it wasn't fun at all. It was a complete shit show. So, but yeah, I think there's, an, there's a, it's one of those games where it's hard to, to react to really, because how can you can account for all those things happening, all those contentious decisions? I think it's one of those where you just have to you know, put it down to what it was uh, just see what, how we get on in two weeks' time. Yeah, that's the fun. We're in the tra- January transfer window. It's almost like a little little mid-season break for us, isn't it? With uh, with the Boring Wood game off and uh, Folkestone Invicta, have I got that right? Is the, is the game after that? Yeah. So two weeks off, get them out on the training field, Parky, keep them away from COVID, bring in a defensive midfielder, a playmaker, another centre-forward, a left-back, and maybe reserve goalkeeper. I am not asking for much. You're not greedy, are you? <laughs> well, I'm not greedy, but uh, but who does? Who who is our sponsor, Liam? I believe that would be uh, the finest establishment in all of Wrexham, the North Wales area. That is the fat. Bo- Actually, no, the world. The finest establishment in the world is the fat boar. The Rex Carlton. Where's the Fat Boy Wrexham? Um, but also to add to that, he just has the Fat Boy mould and soon to open the Fat Boy Ruffin, it has to be said. That is a lot of very, very portly balls. Fair play. He's, <laughs> having a, he's having a little bit of monopoly there. Good luck to him. Right. So take out the words Ryan Reynolds and take out the words Rob McElhenney. Tim, what is the thing that you associate Wrexham FC with if you take out those two names? Jesus Christ! Oh, we didn't prep for the answer. We put them in the spot that um, hope. What's the most? What's what's Rex <laughs> most famous for? Other than oh, other than... okay. Now, now, now you, I see where you're going. You, you're you're leading me up this particular Arsenal. This is guy. really smooth. <laughs> I get, I get. Yeah, you can tell. Look, you can tell that Reese isn't here this week, and they've got the village idiot in to yeah, exactly. uh, to host. Blind leading the blind. So that would be. Surely one of the greatest ever sporting shocks, not football shocks, but sporting shocks in history of the world. The time when Little Wrexham, who finished bottom of the fourth division, humbled English champions Arsenal 2-1 in the FA Cup third round. What a cracker, what a day. And by the time you're listening to this podcast... It will have been 30 years. Where does the time go? Were you at that game, Andrew? I was. Uh, I was not, actually. Um, Mm. My dad wouldn't let me go. uh, So I listened to it in the front of his Ford's... uh, It wasn't a Sierra. What did he have? I think he had a Ford Cortina on the front. uh, And then I listened to the last 10 minutes, found out we'd won. And fair play, it was all over Grandstand. Remember Grandstand? You used to get get pictures straight away. And the iconic scenes of everyone just running onto the pitch with Mickey and Steve Watkin, you know, a lot on their shoulders. You know, I, I just knew that it was it was a result that would resonate through through history, and I was right. But you know, I wasn't there, unfortunately. But it didn't stop me telling everyone in uni I was there. So. <laughs> 
I was there, l- luckily. I can't remember. I think my my mum might have taken me or my dad. I can't remember. Um, but I remember being in the cop. It was literally hemmed in like sardines. I'm not even kidding. I couldn't move my arms above my waist to celebrate because it was that packed. Um, but yeah, crazy, crazy, crazy scenes. It looked like we were on for a whooping because they were all over us first half and then they get the goal and then it, everything changes, you know, in the space of however many minutes it was. I mean, we, we, we've, um, we've documented it fairly comprehensively in a series of podcasts, including this one. We will tell you who we've got in a second. Also in issue three of the Fearless and Devotion fanzine, which you can buy now from fearless.wales. It's going to be out in a few more outlets in and around town as well shortly. Um, but yeah, you can pick that up for four quid plus a bit of postage or two quid for your physical copy and all that sort of stuff. It's a great read. It's, you know, it's, it's all the players that played that fateful day, including the, the management team as well, and, and, and to how they masterminded, as you said, one of the greatest ever sporting shocks in, in, in living memory. So great day, great to be part of that occasion. And, it, and it's definitely woven into the fabric of, the, of this football club and, and, you know, the competition itself. So yeah. Good times. I can't believe it's three years ago. If only there was a way that some of our readers could let us know what they thought about the game. If only I had some sort of, oh, I don't know, electronic mail, something that just that just fell into our laps and told us what they thought. Electronic mail, you say? Got this weird. I don't know where, why we're putting on stupid middle class uh, voices. <laughs> What's going on? All gone to shit. Um, we need Mohammed back in the building, don't we? We need him quick. Um, so yeah, we've had a, a message from uh, Chris Firmston, who decided to, to send this email to us at past four on Christmas Eve. So it must have been not much on the telly. Um, Chris says, <laughs> "I'm alive." No, he says, I'm a lifelong Wrexham fan. I've been born in Wrexham, attended my first match in 1958 when my dad took me to watch it from the boys' pen. Just a line to say how much I enjoy the Arsenal 30th anniversary special edition. Thank you, Chris. Um, it brought back a lot of memories as I attended with my son who became a convert to the Wrexham cause that day. It does have one annoying passage which keeps cropping up again and again, especially if it's mentioned on TV. That is the disallowed Arsenal goal late on, which everybody says was disallowed for offside when it clearly was not offside. The reason is that the goal was not disallowed for offside, but for a foul. At the time, I had no idea why the goal was chalked off, but when I got home straight after the match, I wanted to watch every reference to the match on the TV. I watched the BBC News and possibly ITV or Sky. They could not show the action because BBC had the rights, but did reference the disallowed goal and showed the linesman with the raised flag. Whilst he held it with his right hand, he was making a gesture with his left hand, pushing his hand back and forth, obviously indicating that there was a push. If you look back at the footage, when Seaman kicks the ball into the penalty area, the Wrexham centre-back rushes forward to head the ball, which I'm sure would have reached Arsenal's half had it not been for an obvious push in the back by an Arsenal player. That caused the ball to go straight up into the air, followed by the scramble and goal. All the while, the linesman had his flag up and the referee did not see it until the goal went in. I honestly think the referee did not know why the linesman had flagged, but he upheld his decision and stood where the Arsenal player had scored and everyone assumed he had disallowed it for offside. So, the confusion has raged for 30 years. Please clear this up with the readers, ex-Arsenal players and the BBC if you get the opportunity to do so. Wrexham always, Chris Firmston. Well, Chris, I think you've cleared up the confusion which has raged on for 30 years with that very, very concise and in-depth email, which we thank you for, we're hugely grateful for. And I, for one, will be watching back the highlights with another fresh set of eyes to 
probably psychoanalyzed the linesman and his his pushing gesture. I, I wasn't aware of that. I was just of the maybe maybe the people we spoke to all said, oh, it was definitely offside, and maybe that was you know the 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 sort of belief at the time. But now Chris has put us all in the picture. I find there's a, there's a new string to the bow. Thirty years on, what do you make of that, Liam? Uh, I think we're gonna have to go back to the Zabruder film, aren't we? And uh, sort of look on the grassy knoll where the linesman's standing and see if he fired the shot or not. Yeah, that is that is actually something I've never heard before because every time, well, especially when they interview Arsenal players about it, that's the first thing they mention, isn't it? So, oh, if we hadn't had that uh, chalked off for offside, so mm. maybe they've been sending us down the wrong trail deliberately. Maybe they have. Um, Do you reckon that's 30 years of uh, linesmen not giving us decisions? We used up all our linesmen decisions then. <laughs> did, they, did they all come full circle at Notts County? Is that, is that what you're saying? Well, yeah. I mean, the lino never gives a decision in the National League unless it's really detrimental to us. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe they thought, well... We, we need to get them back for that good bit of lino luck. It's the linesman's union. Now, yeah. Tim, yes. this electronic mail we've been talking about, once you have one, there's no space for any more, is there? They are literally filtering through. Wow. If, it, if this was my letterbox, it would be flapping in the wind right now. I wouldn't know what to do with myself. So, yes, we've got another one. I think we've got two of three. Um, so we've got one here from Andy Wells. Hi, Fid Boys. No space, Fid Boys. Um, just a note to say congratulations on the latest edition. Fid, I've really enjoyed reading it. Great effort. I've also enjoyed every single podcast. So please keep going during 2022. We will try our best. Um, reading about the Arsenal 30th anniversary prompted me to tell you about my late father. He was David Wells, the person who came up with the £10,000 in the early 1980s to buy Jim Steele from Port Vale. He walked into Midland Bank and Mould and just borrowed it. Price Griffiths was delighted. <laughs> Jim was sold to Tramway for 12 grand a couple of years later, and my dad got his money back with interest. We should do more of that. I've never really heard of fans buying players for a club and taking a gamble on the onward sale. Would you do that? Unfortunately, my dad died 10, years, 10, sorry, 10 days before the Arsenal game, and my brother and I were reluctant to go out of respect. However, our mother persuaded us that we should go because that would have been what he wanted. He had a mini obituary in the Arsenal programme, but they spelt his name wrong. And of course, we were overjoyed that we were persuaded to go. Anyway, keep going. All the best. Andy Wells from Harrogate, but a Wrexham FC season to go. Thanks, Andy. Thank you so much for that. Really, really What enjoyed. a story. What yeah, a great yeah. little story that is. If you imagine trying to buy a player for Wrexham now, we'd have to all remortgage our houses. <laughs> yeah. 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 Walking to Nationwide. Excuse me, do you mind? <laughs> I wish to bring Mike Fond up to Hallam back to the club. <laughs> Why are we doing this voice? What are we doing? <laughs> oh. is, is, it, is it worth remortgaging a house for James Jones? Liam, no. yes or no? No. <laughs> if I had a dog kennel, I'd remortgage that for him. Was that harsh? That's too harsh. Cut that out. Cut that out. Oh, no. <laughs> cut, cut, cut. Um, right. So yeah, I suppose you want a third email, do you? I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm... <sighs> Fizzing at the bunghole for uh, Wrexham Arsenal emails. Beavis and Butthead quotes, shocking. Um, right, here we go. This is from Alex Roberts. Hi, all. Just wanted to get in touch and say how much I'm enjoying the podcast and fanzine. Once again, thank you very much, Alex. Uh, the recent interview with Andy Thackeray was a particular highlight and brought back many memories of my first games at the racecourse as a nine year old. 
I was lucky enough to have my picture taken with him all these years ago when I was the mascot for a match against Cardiff. Having a kickabout with the team will live long in the memory. As for the game itself, we got battered 3-0, but I do remember Thackeray throwing a few punches during a brawl, which made everything better. I was 11 at the time, so it, probably, it was probably handbags, but it looked like a rocky fight to me. Keep up the great work, Alex Roberts. Cheers, Alex. It's nice to know you're subjected to such brutal violence at a tender age. And it's made you the man you are today. So that's that's a cracker. Who'd have thought Placid Andy Thackeray was a brute? He seemed like a nice guy. Yeah. I, I didn't never saw him as a player, but on the podcast, he seemed quite chilled out. You wouldn't let him crack your back. That's what he does for a living now. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, um, you know, when, when you're sort of st- first starting at, at, to watch Wrexham, you do sort of have an affiliation with, with the fullbacks, don't you? Especially if you're in the like, sort of like the paddock, because they're the person closest to you. So you know what you what a kid's like? They're, they're not looking at the game as a whole. They're, <laughs> they're concentrating on one sort of thing. And so when I first started going, like Mark McGregor, I used to just watch him go up and down and watch a bit of Thackeray as well. But it is, it is quite strange how you sort of uh, fall in love with a fullback when you're a young... Do you know who mine was? Go on. Mine was Imad Bunan. Wow. Mad Bunan. You packed a lot of love into a short time there. Yeah. He was everywhere except where he should have been at left back. <laughs> Uh, for those who ever asked us to get Emad on the podcast, we did. I floated the idea once. His English is so bad; it's so bad, it's just not happening. It'd be a Google Translate job. I don't think that's going to uh, translate very well to a podcast. So, yeah, maybe, maybe it's something we can do a email and read out a letter from him, an email, electronic mail from Emad. Who knows? I, I would like that. notes from Emad. It would be a feature every every day. We'd read another another line of his uh, Emad email. email. Email, email. There you go. Dead easy. So, we've yes. spoken a little bit about Wrexham, Arsenal. Would anyone like to know what it was like from the Arsenal camp? Oh, yes. Me, please. I'm trying to rack my brain now. Did we ask him about the offside goal? Because Chris isn't going to be happy if he, we... He, uh, he does mention it. But no, <laughs> no one's asked uh, me if a two-year-old Liam Randall went to the Arsenal game. So did a two-year-old Liam Randall go to an Arsenal game? No, I didn't. No. Nah. <laughs> well, well, Shame on Ivan. Shame on Keith. Terrible dad. Well, one person who did go and wish he bloody hadn't is Alan Smith, former Arsenal legend and England striker. And he very, very, uh, you know, very nice of him to come on the pod. Smudge, as he always is affectionately known, big, tall, gangly striker for Arsenal in England. Scored... The first goal that day, and it looked like they were going to coast the victory. He, he's tucked it in. Um, nice little finish. Good player. But then it all went wrong. So we thought, let's get the uh, let's get the view from the other side. And he was more than more than happy to to discuss it all these years later. So yeah, Alan Smith, um, over to you. I would like to welcome a very special guest to the podcast, Mr. Alan Smith. Nice to have you on, Alan. Thank you for joining us. Nice to be here. Well, you know, waking up <laughs> some bad memories, but uh, yeah, nice to, nice to see you all. Yeah, I know you've you've raked over uh, this as and when various anniversaries have cropped up, whether it was 25 years, 10 years, 15 years. And I know you've gone over a fair bit of, of old ground. First and foremost, does it feel like 30 years? 
<laughs> no, God, 30 years. No, it doesn't. I must admit, I can I can still feel the pain. Um, but it, it is amazing how uh, time flies. But when, when we get to this time of year uh, and the third round and people start talking about famous cup upsets, obviously uh, we're always uh, towards the top of the pile. So uh, we are constantly reminded of it. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it, it's a funny one because, you know, I, I've won the FA Cup in 93, which was fantastic. So at least I've, I've got that to kind of lean back on. Um, but and, but it's a very famous game. So, you know, by the same token, it's nice to be inv involved in these really memorable occasions. Yeah, like you said, you know, you kind of, you won it a year later, which obviously softens the blow hugely. Just take us back to that, to that, game because my understanding is you stayed overnight in some sort of country hotel somewhere can you remember where that was what it was i can't remember the name of it you're right it was it was a lovely hotel um and, and i loved my food and i also remember the night before i think i had lasagna or something i thought oh this, this is lovely it was, it was a beautiful old country hotel so i can't uh, i can't blame the the conditions leading up to the match uh, it, it was a lovely country hotel just outside Wrexham somewhere. It wouldn't have been too far away outside mm. the town. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I do I do remember that about it. But all the preparations were spot on. I mean, let, let, let's, let's talk about the food. You're a big foodie. I'm assuming there, was no, there wasn't much way in, the, in, in terms of nutritionalists and so on and so forth back then. No, there wasn't. I, I suppose we were just getting into kind of the pasta regime, building up to a match. I mean, when I first started playing for Leicester, uh, maybe at 12 o'clock, three hours before the game, we'd be having fillet steak. Uh, it, it was seen as something that would give you strength, um, you know, build muscle. Uh, but it was obviously just laying in your stomach by the time you started running around. But, yeah, the nutrition side hadn't really kicked in, but uh, we started just looking at it a little bit more. Um, and, yeah, I think it was, it was a nice spot of lasagna at that point on that Friday night. And then, obviously, heading towards the in the hours in the build up to the game, I think you've gone on record previously as saying that none of you ever ever took that game for granted. Nobody nobody would take that that part of the conversation for granted. You, you come in at the third round stage, given where Arsenal finished, given where Wrexham had finished, everybody on paper would say it's it's a fairly foregone conclusion. From to be a professional sportsman to get into that professional mindset. I imagine, especially from George Graham, that the mindset of you and the rest of the players was like, this is a banana skin and we have to be tread carefully and go about our business in the right way. Yeah, I think that was the phrase that the gaffer used, you know, this is potentially a huge banana skin. The whole country will, will be looking at this game, given, as you say, our respective positions last season, the season before, and, you know, a lot of people hoping that Wrexham could turn us over. And that's just the way it is, isn't it? Everybody got in for the underdog, apart from Arsenal fans. So there was no way that we took it lightly. You know, you go into an away ground, a full house, you know, that, that kind of atmosphere. Maybe the pitch is a little bit different to what you're used to. Not that we had any complaints about the surface, but uh, it certainly wasn't somewhere that you turned up and thought, oh, you know, we're the champions, we're going to in third gear, we're going to win this match. We, we didn't think that at all. Hmm. So there was no complacency there. So when you've got to the ground, was there any dark arts at play? Because it's, it's long been known that the likes of 
of uh, Joey Jones and so on and so forth in that backroom team may have pulled a, a little stunt or two to try and upset the opposition as much as possible. But was there anything alluded to that or was it very much a case of get in, get into the change rooms, go and warm up and let's get on with the job in hand? Yeah, I can't, to be honest with you, no, I can't remember, you know, no hot water or whatever, those kind of things, dodgy book, footballs, flat footballs warming up. I don't, I, I don't think there was anything like that. We couldn't have any complaints uh, on that score. It was obviously a tight dressing room, tighter than Highbury, and, and you're all cramped in there. But you, you expect that. We, we'd all played and, and got changed in plenty of uh, dressing rooms like that. So uh, I, I think, to be fair to Hexham, you know, that they looked after us well. And Alan... Yeah, so yeah, sorry, Alan. Can I just ask you about this? This is an urb, urban myth that went around Wrexham that George Graham went into the Wrexham dressing room, shook every player by the hand, said, "Good luck, good luck, good luck." Went went to Brian Flynn, said, "Good luck for the day." Walked into your dressing room and said, "Right then, lads, let's win this and get out of this godforsaken place." I don't. Think, I don't think he would have used the phrase "godforsaken place." What he always <laughs> used to say was, um, "For these kind of away trips, let's." We'll do a John Wayne. We'll get in, do a job and get the hell out of town quickly. It, it was one of those. But, you know, he used that for going up to Old Trafford, whatever. Um, but, you know, going to a smaller club like that, I think his attitude was always, let's get our attitude spot on, do a job over the next 90 minutes and get back home, you know, and let's, you know, move on to the next round. That, that was his attitude. You know, that, that story about going into the opposing dressing room before the match, I would doubt that that was true. That's not something he would normally do. He might have shaken the lads' hands as they came out in that dressing room right. in the tunnel. I don't know, but I, I would I would doubt that he went in beforehand. It's not something you would never see an opposing manager come in before a match. Um, but he would have, you know, rallied us like, like he always did and said, come on, boys, if we get out, if our attitude's right, we're a better team than they are and we'll win this match. No, fair enough. I suppose it's 30 years ago, isn't it? Everything's sort of built up with the mists of time. So if we go to the match sort of as it kicks off, I mean, within about two minutes in, I think, was it you had a header cleared off the line? I mean, you you started really strongly, didn't they? Yeah, to be honest, I can't remember about the header clearing off the line. I don't know. Uh, I do, I mean, I do remember the first half. We were well in control. Uh, I don't think we came under the cosh too much. Uh, we played quite well, really, I thought. Yeah. Uh, had a lot, a lot to say in uh, Wrexham's penalty area. Uh, and then I got the goal. Um, I'm not sure what minute it was, but uh, got the goal. And I just remember going in at half-time feeling, well, you know, we, we've done what we needed to in that first half. And if we continue in the second half, we're going we're to be OK. Um, can't remember Wrexham having too many chances. I, I might be wrong in that first half, but it felt as if, you know, all was going according to plan. Yeah. I mean, I think Wrexham had probably. I, I, I just looked at the match today, so I think Wrexham had one good, good chance, which uh, a young lad called Gareth Bowen uh, put wide. But I, I think it was mostly, mostly Arsenal in in that in that first half. Um, so you, when you got to the goal, I, Merson looked absolutely electric. He looked like he really had a, a had a good game and was really giving our, our right back uh, a bit of a roasting. Yeah, um, well, he set up the goal, so that was nice. Um, yeah, he was a tricky customer to deal with when he was running at you. He was such a skillful player, Merce. I loved uh, 
he was my favourite strike partner of my career, uh, really. Um, and uh, you know, he, he could he could just shimmy around players. He, he could always find the pass. He would always play with his head up. Um, and uh, when he cut it back, I've got, on the stretch, I, I've slid the ball in. Um, so we we had a good relationship, me and Merce. So you know, that was another example of it. And just going through to the second half, I mean. Right, let's get to the bones of it. Was it a free kick? Because George Graham says no. David O'Leary says definitely not. But Gordon Davis says it's a near assault. <laughs> you tell me. You've watched the match today. What did it look like? Um, if I'm being honest, it looked a little soft. But it gave me probably one of my greatest ever reps of memories. So I'm going to say it was definitely a near assault. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes decisions go against you, don't they, uh, when you're away from home. So you have to suck it up, really. Um, we wouldn't have expected Dave Seaman maybe to get beaten from there. But, you know, you get the wall organised. I was probably in the wall. I normally was, because being quite big enough. Um, but, uh, you know, great strike. What can you say? Um, whatever the, you know... Uh, yes and no's of, of whether it was a free kick or not. The ref's given it and you have to react to that. He did get his fingertips to to be fair. I, th- I think I think Dave give Mickey Thomas his gloves off the game if, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Um, do you reckon, I mean, I, I know you've had a, a little bit of Mickey Thomas has, has wound you up over the years through various radio commentaries and crossing paths in the media about, about that game and that goal. If he has a go at hitting that another hundred times, does he hit it as cleanly and as well as he does that time? Is that a one-off? Well, he was a good player, wasn't he, Mickey? There's no doubt about it. You don't get signed for Man United without having a lot of ability. Um, and like all his teammates, I'm sure he was pumped up for the day. Um uh, and when you are, sometimes you can produce uh, your best football, uh, your best moments. So I don't know how many other free kicks he's hit quite sweetly. You'd have to ask him that. <laughs> but uh, on, on the He'll day... hundreds, but in reality... <laughs> <laughs> on the day, he got it right, didn't he? So what, what can you say? Before we get to, to, to the the other major instance in the game. How did you, how did you find the, the general atmosphere and everything else? Because, you know, there's, there's a lot being said uh, from a biased point of view. Obviously, we're getting good crowds again now, but I think it was 13,000 back then. Again, does that factor in into your... Does it affect the team in any way? I know Arsenal went about it in, in a very consummate and professional manner, and obviously the game turned on, on its head in the last sort of five or ten minutes. What, what what did you make of the atmosphere that day and just the general? I think I think you mentioned about the pitch being a bit bobbly, but you just got on with it. But in the general other sort of aspects around it, was it just a case of we just got to get on with it? Yeah, I think it was the kind of atmosphere we would have expected um, at, a, at a ground of that size, you know, playing the Champions of England. You, you're going to expect uh, a lot of noise coming from the fans. Um, and I think most players enjoy that. You know, um, they, they like to be involved in those kind of atmospheres. Um, so, you know, it wasn't like playing at Millwall back in the 80s, which wasn't always a great experience, you know. I mean, it is a bit more friendly than that. But, you know, that, it, they were right on top of you and um, nothing untoward went on from what I can remember. But so they were cheering the team on, trying to put us off, you know, in any way they could. 
Um, but, you know, when you're a goal up, playing OK, you, you're putting the lid on the atmosphere to a certain extent. Of course, when, when Mickey gets that free kick, uh, he totally turns on its head and all of a sudden the, the home fans are dreaming of a cup upset. And that's when, as the away team, you've got to, you know, try and, and, and put the lid on it again and, and, uh, and, and get another goal. But um, unfortunately, we couldn't manage that. Was there any different instructions from George Graham and, and, and filtering through the captain and whatnot as soon as that equaliser went in? Or was it just a case of, look, just crack on, keep your heads calm and we'll go again and we'll, we'll get another goal? Yeah, I think, any, you know, any uh, team under those circumstances, especially, you know, the, the, the bigger of the two, the favourites would want to just calm things down then for the next five minutes, not do anything silly. You know, if you needed to help it up the line or stick it into Rose Ed, do it for the next five or 10 minutes. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that's what we tried to do. Um, I can't remember any, you know, specific uh, instructions from, from the gaffer, but I'm sure that's what our kind of uh, plan would have been at that time. And then to the the turning point, I guess, well, I suppose that the equaliser was the turning point, but then the, the unexpected and the one which caused much headlines and, and history and so on and so forth. The scrappiest of winners that often get overlooked by by Mickey's howitzer. Steve Watkins. Everyone thinks Mickey won it, didn't they? <laughs> I know. This, this is why we're trying to place some particular emphasis on Steve's very, very... It's not a very good goal, is it, at the end of the day? It's not, it's not a great goal for the cameras. It's not a great goal to concede. What was your take on it? it just, yeah, it just felt a bit messy, didn't it? Just felt a bit messy, bouncing ball in the box, and you know maybe us not reacting quickly enough, or the ball bouncing in Wrexham's favour, and uh, all of a sudden we're uh, we're down in the match with very little time to go. Um, you know, I, I haven't seen the goal lately. I've got to admit, so I mean, I, I can't really point the finger and, and apportion any blame on anybody. I'm not sure. I think it was t- kind of that momentum Wrexham had after after the equaliser. Um, fighting, scrapping for every ball, and uh, and and that's what happened. Um, so you're feeling a bit shell shocked at that point. How, how on earth did we get into this point that you know we're very close to losing the match? But then, then go on, Andy. I'm sure you had to say it to say it. No, I was, I was just going to say up watching the goal today. If you don't apportion any blame, Tony Adams, he's to blame. He See, definitely missed his clearance. Wrong. He definitely missed his clearance. Well, uh, but. There was another big incident as well, wasn't there? I'm sure you were involved in. Was that an offside? Because it comes over, the ball comes over, it looks like one of your centre-halves may have strayed and Carter definitely wasn't offside and puts it no. in. Um, but I don't know if you can remember anything about that or if, if you well, were remonstrating with the Lino or the ref after. Well, we, we certainly remonstrated, I think. We just, you know... We, Afterwards, we couldn't, I mean, during the rest of the match, we couldn't understand why they'd given offside. You know, you're asking the ref and everything and he's saying off, but, you know, as you said, uh, Jimmy wasn't. Uh, and at the end of the game as well, we're going, why on earth did he disallow that? You know, we, we felt robbed from that point of view because there wasn't really a, an explanation. Um, right. So they, he never said that, you know, he was off or, or anything like that. He just sort of said offside and that, that was the blanket answer. Yeah, I don't think he said exactly who, who you know, the linesman's put his flag up and the ref's gone with it. So, you know, uh, we back back in those days, you know, we tended to complain a lot. We had a lot of moaners in the team. Uh, the, the gaffer always used to try and 
So, you know, get into the ref's ear, into his head, so that you get decisions, you know. So uh, there were plenty of players um, complaining, having, having a go at the ref. Um, but, you know, but before you know it, the final whistle's gone. Um, and even then, I'm sure we were having a go. <laughs> we were having a go at the ref, but uh, too late for that. Uh, and all hell breaks loose. Fans, fans running on the pitch and that. And, and at that point, you just want to get off, don't you? So uh, that was it. You didn't have much time for a post-match inquest because I think, if I'm right in saying, George Graham said, get in the shower, you got 10 minutes and then we're leaving. Yeah, it was pretty much that. Yeah, it was. Let's not mess about. Let's let's get on the bus in 10 minutes, something like that. Yeah. Uh, he went out and did his uh, media stuff. Um, and uh, I don't, you know, don't think the players said anything I might be wrong somebody might have caught us outside but uh, we all couldn't wait to get but get back on the bus you know it was uh, a sucker punch right at the end um, you, you got it to, to have got knocked out you know it's going to be headlines it's going to be first game on match of the day that night everyone's going to be laughing about it but you know that comes with the territory uh, uh, but as you say he said yeah get in that shower now quickly and let's get on the bus was there any conversation had as you know, was was it very much a case of right? We don't want to apportion blames one another. We just got to get on with it, get out of there. Then we'll worry about it in the, in the sort of cold lighted day the, the next day. Yeah, I think that was it really, um, because yeah, there was a feeling. It wasn't as if we felt oh we've taken this easy. Um, we've not had our um, you know mind on the on the challenge. We've not just strolled in like champions and, and thought we were going to brush them aside. So it, it wasn't like there was a lot of pointing of fingers by the gaffer, which, you know, we could do if we needed to. Um, it was the old wham-bam at the end of the match. Um, so, you know, we would have spoken about it on the Monday. Uh, I think we had the Sunday off. But, um, yeah, on, on the Sunday, you left to read the papers. And, and travelling back as well, I think the coach broke down. I've said this before. Oh, wow. Which, you know, just rub salt <laughs> in the wounds, you know, standing on a hard shoulder in the middle of nowhere uh, in January wasn't the best best way to end a miserable afternoon. So, uh, it, 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 you know, really was a day that none of us would forget. I mean... You played 500 games. Um, is this one lazing on your on your memory any more than any others? I mean, were you the sort of player who remembered the good or the bad games any any better, or is this just a is just this another game? Well, you tend to remember the good ones much more than the bad. You know, I was fortunate. I, the two games that we lost uh, that I would remember is this one, the Wrexham one and when uh, Spurs beat us in the FA Cup semi-final when Gaza got that free kick and everything and to lose to your North London rivals hurts at any time but in the FA Cup when we would have done the double that year we won the league only lost one game that that hurt as well um, but um, thankfully yeah the, the good overshadows the bad so you kind of tend to just um, nudge the, the, those kind of matches to, to the to the side and uh, not think about them too much. Just one last question for me before we before we let you go, uh, Alan. I mean, I, as a professional, I don't know how much you look at the opposition, especially when you're playing a match. But 
was there any that was quite a, a strange mix of a Wrexham side there was 38 year old Mickey Thomas and then there was a lot of lads under 20 who were who were making their sort of first sort of season in the game was there any one of the lads the young lads who sort of stood out for you and you thought well maybe this lad's got a chance nothing comes to mind at the moment listen there might have been I don't know um we always did our homework on the opposition. You know, we'd look at videos as it was then uh, about their recent matches and the gaffer would point out the danger men. You know, maybe he did something particular at set pieces for us to look at, different corner routines. So, you know, we paid uh, due diligence to, to what the opposition might might do to us and we'd uh, try and counter that. But I, I, I can't really remember the gaffer saying, oh, you know, this lad... Uh, he, he, he's fantastic. He's going, to, he's going to be a star of the future. Anything like that. It was just a question of respecting the opposition and, and you know, making sure that he did the job. Did that defeat in any way give you that extra 10% to go and win it the next year? Is that like, right? No more slip-ups. We had that one last year, which in the cold light of day was unexpected and maybe undeserved. So... No, no, no mishaps this time. Let's go and win it, which is exactly what you did. And I know for Wrexham, it kind of the money that that was earned from it was was invested, and we and we eventually got promotion and, and so on and so forth. So there was a there was a domino effect there. So I was just curious if if that entered the the gaffers thinking on your part that right, you know, we didn't we didn't do it last year. It was a hiccup. No hiccups this time. Yeah, maybe so. Um... I mean, you, it's bad enough being involved in one of these huge upsets once. You don't want to have it happen to you again. Um, I think we played Yeovil the year we won the Cup. I might be wrong, uh, but we ended up winning 5-0, something like that, away from home. Ian Wright got a hatchet, you know, and that was a potential banana skin. It was a misty day, dodgy pitch. But, um, yeah, you, you just, I suppose you always hark back remember Wrexham lads even if you don't actually say it or the manager doesn't say it all the players that were involved would be thinking of it and uh, you don't want that to happen again and you, you try and make sure it doesn't um, and you're right that might have played a part in, uh, in us winning the Cup in 93 Right I think last question for me was the lasagna the best part about coming up to Wrexham? Uh, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was. The only lasagna I've had that was remotely as good was when we played uh, Torino in the European Cup Winners Cup. So it was in Turin. It's very specific. As well. So yeah, the t- two on apart. We got a better result uh, in Turin. We, we drew nil-nil. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that, was, that was the bit that was... Uh, it went downhill after the lasagna. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much, uh, Liam, is there anything from you? or uh, I think Tim touched on it um, before, but um, how many times have you sort of bumped into Mickey Thomas since that day? And does he ever fail to mention it to you? I was mentioning it plenty of times, but I haven't seen him for a while. I don't know whether... He's been a bit ill, Alan. Oh, has he? Yeah, yeah he used to do the radio, didn't he? Uh, he, was, yeah. he was on the radio a lot, and I'd see him in press boxes. So, uh, no, I haven't seen him, so hopefully... Uh... He'll be back, uh, but yeah, he's a cheeky chappy, and he Mickey, and he'd always he'd always mention it. Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't expect any laughs from him. Yeah.
Well, thanks very much, Alan Smith. Love the fact that you got stuck on the A483 on the way back. <laughs> um, what an end to a shite day. Right, it's also the end of the podcast, but just before we go, a uh, quick word that we'll do predictions again when Reese is back next week. Reese Williams has been has been missing, just in case you've wondered where those South Walesian dulcet tones that send you off to sleep have gone. Next week, we've got a cracker for you. Rearrange this name. Derek Ricketts Samuel. Gary Mills is back on again. <laughs> yes, and he still hates you. <laughs> taking you for a pork buy and a pint before we do the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, we got Sam Ricketts. Fair play. We've just done the interview now. What a cracking little uh, hour we've had with him. Uh, he was very honest and very open. Sp- uh, says a lot about Mike Fondop talent and who doesn't want Mike Fondop content. So see you all next week. Goodbye. Take care. Cheers, everyone.